every so often throughout the course of history, patriots rise up at a time of need for truth and freedom. These people are called disciples of liberty for their undying love of freedom. The call has been sounded. Will you answer that call or sit back and let freedom die away? Unifying patriots everywhere against the evil trying to destroy America's freedom. You're listening to the Disciples of Liberty radio show on the America Out Loud Network. Now here's your host, Tim Alders. Once again, welcome to the Disciples of Liberty show. I'm Brian Hyde, sitting in for Tim Alders today. Well, we got a lot to cover. These are the times that we live in. Wouldn't it be great if we could just sit around and politely agree about everything, right? <laughs> kind of like they do on NPR. <laughs> nah, that would take half the fun out of life, right? But let's, uh, let's talk about some of the issues that are relevant to our time, particularly issues that are relevant to those determined to live as Disciples of Liberty. Life is not getting easier for anybody, but I think it's especially getting tougher for those who have a commitment, and I mean a real-world commitment, to living the principles and practices of liberty. Why? Well, I don't know the right way to put this. It's, it's like the, the noose is tightening, we're being painted into a corner, we're being, we're being coerced from so many different angles that we weren't before. And of course, uh, you know, unfortunately, this brings us to the topic of, you know, how is, for instance, the, the pandemic being used to accomplish this? Because frankly, there has been more control and more claim for authority over every aspect of our lives up within about the last uh, year and a half than I think I've seen in the, the roughly 30 years that I've actually been paying attention. It's a little disconcerting, just the speed with which this is all unraveling. And yet, uh, you know, again, this is the world we live in. Might as well face it. Might as well face the facts and determine what can we do to move forward. Now, I've said this before, but I want to reiterate just so so it makes sense. I understand that uh, the kinds of messages, the message of freedom itself, it's, it's something that has application for everybody, but that doesn't mean that everybody is interested. And especially, you know, for, for those of us, you know, who when, at one time when, when I was new to the cause, speaking up, you know, being a personality and, you know, waving that flag, look, man, freedom is the way, liberty is the way. I would take it pretty personally when people are like, I don't want that. Time and maturity has since taught me that uh, that's just another fact of life. That's life in the real world. Not everybody wants it. I think very few people want the exact opposite. Most people are just kind of trapped in that limbo in between. I really want my freedom, and I want to take your freedom from you. They're somewhere in the squishy middle going, oh, I don't know, where's, where's it safe to stand? <laughs> They're just thinking, if I just don't make eye contact and don't draw attention to myself, I'm going to be just fine. But, of course, it's, it's not just fine. We've got to think about uh, not only the price that was paid by those who came before us, to establish the freedoms and to claim those freedoms that we have enjoyed and we've built upon. But we also have to think about the ones who are following in our footsteps. I'll never forget the gravity I felt when my first child arrived in the world and I realized I have a responsibility here, not just in the eyes of the world, pay your child support, take care, you know. Now, 
paying child support, of course. I'm still married to the child's mother and everything. Um, I actually have five more kids now in addition to her. But it was just, it was a real wake-up call. I realized that I had just, I had just taken on a job that I absolutely could not quit under any circumstances. And frankly, it's been a pretty joyful job, all things considered. But there are times, parents, right? It's, it's a job. So let's, let's spend a little bit of time today talking about what we can do, where we can exert our influence. I have a couple of things that I really want to share with you about, um, about how it's time to face some facts that especially those within the political class do not wish to face. I'm going to start with an essay from Scott Moorfield. This was published on, let me make sure I get the website right. Um, this is from the Brownfield or the Brownstone Institute. Now, I followed Jeffrey Tucker's writings for some time when he was at the American Institute for Economic Research. Uh, he has since gone over to the Brownstone Institute and is working with them. But uh, I know that uh, Jeffrey is a very principled guy. And Scott Moorfield, who wrote this particular piece, I think nails down some issues that, uh, that are probably worth knowing. The article is titled, Governments Lost the War Against the Virus. And I only share this with you because I know that there are still people trying to claim we've got to lock it down. We've got to have more government intervention. The government has to fight this virus. But if you look at the reality of what this virus is doing, government is not going to be enough. All the king's horses and all the king's men will not make it happen. It's a virus. It doesn't care what their policies are. It doesn't care what their politics are. So in this article, Scott Moorfield talks about when the Japanese finally surrendered on September 2nd of 1945, the official news never reached Japanese Lieutenant Hiru Onoda, who, along with a few compatriots, spent the next three decades hiding out in the Philippine mountains and carrying out guerrilla activities against local police and farmers. Although leaflets were dropped several times over the years, Onoda and his fellow soldiers refused to believe the news. Instead, stubbornly choosing to continue a pointless fight, they must have known they couldn't possibly win. Now, of the seven stages of grief that humans experience, the last one is acceptance. And this is where team reality has been for much, if not most, of the COVID-19 pandemic. And we got there pretty quickly. Thanks to science, the real kind humans used to practice before they lost their ever-loving minds, we've known all along there is no stopping or permanently containing a highly contagious respiratory virus that by March of 2020 had already been raging for months, making significant headway into the population. We accepted this. And as was eloquently drawn out later that year by a group of highly qualified medical professionals in the Great Barrington Declaration, postulated that the best way to mitigate the inevitable damage would be to shield the vulnerable and let the virus burn through those to whom it poses little statistical risk. After some temporary pain, herd immunity would have been achieved in a matter of months, and life would have returned to normal. But would our overlords listen to logic, science, and common sense? And the answer is, of course not. Instead, they went all in on lockdowns and then mask mandates and now leaky vaccines and vaccine mandates, none of which has worked as nearly as advertised. So the lockdowns worked for a little while, but they couldn't be sustained. The mask mandates never did anything at all. And although they're protecting, they are still protecting people in the U.S. against uh, severe illness and death, the vaccine program seems to be failing on a massive scale. 
going in a matter of months from a path to normality to your vaccine protects me, but the vaccinated can still get and transmit COVID. So we have to wear a mask indefinitely, yet we will have to force everyone to get a vaccine so everyone is safe or something. Yet in a quest that cannot possibly be achieved, President Biden continues to double and quadruple down, mercilessly abusing the power of the federal government in the process. We'll just have to mask and vax harder, we're told, and at some point we'll get to a new normal. Maybe where school children could at some point not have their mask taped to their foreheads by some psycho hypochondriac teacher if they let it droop below below their nose for a few seconds. Hey, we can all dream, right? Scott Moorfield says if there was ever a time to face facts, it is now. Those of us who still have a degree of sanity left need to shout it from the rooftops. The war is over and the virus won. It is here. It is extremely contagious. It is sadly deadly to some and it's never going away. The best we can hope for is a semblance of herd immunity that helps control an endemic virus that hopefully will over time become more of a cold than a deadly pathogen. Now, obviously, the powers that be have been fighting hard for the vaccine kind of immunity. But the more time that passes and the more data that comes in, especially from Israel and the UK, the more obvious it's becoming that these vaccines aren't preventing transmission or contraction. And what efficacy they do provide wanes in a matter of months. In other words, vaccine-generated herd immunity isn't happening. And given that we've never had a sterile vaccine against a coronavirus, it probably never will. So that means that in some form or other, almost everyone with a pulse is going to get COVID-19 or a variant thereof. Now, if everyone would simply accept this simple fact and prepare accordingly, we could avoid so much of the needless destruction we're doing to ourselves. Scott Moorfield says, sure, this preparation could come in the form of taking a vaccine, especially for those who are in a vulnerable category, in order to make the virus milder for them. But for all, it should come in the form of health measures we've known for decades. Things like losing weight, getting in shape, taking key vitamins like zinc and vitamin D, and addressing existing health issues. Taking yourself out of a vulnerable category puts you at at far less risk of a bad outcome. And of course, nobody in government is going to tell its subjects anything like that, because none of this has ever been about public health. Many of the vaccinated are angry at the unvaccinated because they've been lied to. Both about who is actually spreading COVID. Anyone care to guess what happens when a vaccinated person contracts COVID yet feels fine and engages normally in society? Yeah. And the efficacy of the vaccines themselves. So many seem to think the vaccines are sterile in the same way vaccines against other diseases have been. And that if we just mask and vax hard enough, there will actually be a future time where there is no COVID. Well, here's a newsflash. Even if vaccination levels rather somehow reached 100%, transmission and contraction of this virus will not end. So it's time to end the insanity. It's time to surrender and stop fighting a fight we can't win. Sure, shield and vaccinate the vulnerable. Hope to God that some of the rumors about vaccines driving variants aren't true. But the vast majority of people need to accept and deal with the fact that they are going to get this virus, which will continue virusing until it's finished, regardless of what humans do. The good news, if they're willing to hear it, is the same as it's always been. It won't be dangerous for the vast majority. 
Now, the article goes on to point out that Onana, that Japanese uh, lieutenant, finally surrendered in 1974, nearly 30 years after the war was over. His compatriots had died over the years. His fruitless activities resulted in the needless deaths of at least 30 innocent Filipino farmers and the destruction of countless crops and other property. At that point, he had wasted more than half his life fighting a war that had already ended and destroying the lives of so many others in the process. So the powers that be haven't admitted it yet, but the war against COVID is over. It's time to accept reality and stop kicking against the pricks. It's time to end the mask mandates, the useless school quarantining, the vaccine coercion, and every other unnecessary and ugly aspect of this horrible dystopian society our overlords have created. How many more lives will be forever destroyed or damaged by the fruitless efforts of the COVID warriors who refuse to accept the inevitable and surrender? I know there's stigma and surrender. We never surrender. Never give up. Never surrender. Fans of Galaxy Quest are going to love that. But at what point do we allow those who are in authority to continue wreaking havoc on society through things that largely do not work or things which flat out don't work when it comes to slowing the spread of this virus? I mean, do we let them go ahead and destroy the economy just because we had to do something? I've heard that saying so many times from people in power. Well, we had to do something. We couldn't just do nothing. But it seems like the something that they see, or at least the only possibilities they see, always seem to involve some expansion of government power and contraction of personal freedom. Which, if you think about it, makes sense. That's how the state operates. Well, we can't really be in control of something like this until we have made sure that everybody is in compliance, and that means you, Buster, get that look off your face. Line up and do as you're told. Honestly, I have to wonder if some of the resistance to backing away from some of these mitigation efforts, particularly I look at what's happening in Australia and New Zealand, and I have to wonder if maybe the people who are suggesting this are simply trying to cover themselves because we haven't yet reached the point where apportionment of the blame for all of these failings is going to be laid out. I don't think it's going to be a pretty day when the people who really pushed for these lockdowns or like like Andrew Cuomo pushed elderly, infected elderly people into nursing homes and ended up killing tens of thousands of people who otherwise may not have been at risk. I mean, they, they need to answer for this. I hope that doesn't sound like just a bloodthirsty call for vengeance. Uh, I'm saying this with uh, with the sincerity of someone who believes we all face universal just, justice at some point. I have no doubt the great judge of the universe will balance the scales at some point. There's a part of me that would like to see some earthly justice administered to the likes of Dr. Fauci and anybody else who helped out in the creation of this virus and its subsequent damage that it has done. That's still the hardest reality that I've had to get my mind around in the last few weeks. This is a man-made virus. But I'm willing to accept that truth. I'm just ready for the folks who invented and who funded and researched and created this Frankenstein of a virus. I want them to at least give a mea culpa and stop trying to control every aspect of my life and your life. Politicians aren't big on accountability. 
right? Unless something goes extremely, extremely, you know, wrong. And, oh, I'm take that back. Unless something goes extremely well, then they'll take all the full credit. Oh, yes, something good happened. Why, that was me. That was my policy. I was the first to suggest that we should do this. But when something goes wrong, oh, man, they're looking for a scapegoat. That's what politicians do. It's never their responsibility. This is, okay, my armchair psychiatrist hat going on now. This is why oftentimes very sociopathic types of people are attracted to politics. They just know that they know what's best, and they have no problem with using force to impose that on everybody else. You know, these principal doctors who were part of the Great Barrington Declaration last year, they were censored from social media, they were put down by other doctors, they absolutely could not add to the discourse of what was going on because they were challenging the popular narrative, and it turns out rightly so. They were right when they said that uh, the virus doesn't care what your policy is. So the best you can do, try to shield the most vulnerable, but let the virus work its way through the rest of the population, including those people who are at the least amount of risk, building up that natural immunity. That's how you get a virus under control. It eventually runs its course, burns itself out, and becomes like the yearly flu or like a yearly cold. But unfortunately, there's political power attached to this virus or the perception of what this virus is capable of. And it's being milked every day and being used for advantage and leveraged for, you know, more control. Not just by the political class, but by their enablers in the, ma- in the uh, mainstream media, the corporate media. How often do they report anything about COVID with sufficient context that people can understand that uh, every case that they mention was not the result of someone dying on a ventilator somewhere? While heart attack patients died in the hallway of the hospital because all the, all the ICUs are full. I've seen two different meetings now that were recorded, digital meetings, of hospital administrators trying to talk about how they could best present their information in a way that, uh, that plays the numbers in favor of what they want to see happen. In other words, in favor of their agenda, which is get as many people vaccinated as possible. Now, look, if the vaccines really were all that and a bag of chips, maybe we could justify it. But it's not, clearly. Breakthrough infections, the the waning efficacy where people have to get boosters now, what, every four or five months? Yeah, something there's not adding up. And that doesn't mean that uh, I'm suggesting nobody should get the vaccine. I'm just suggesting think before you do. And don't treat it like the panacea that some want to treat it as. I actually saw an interesting article from a medical doctor. This is from Dr. Oh, let me see if I can figure out his name here. Dr. Here we go. Michael Akkad. I just wanted to make sure I got his name correctly. Are the unvaccinated a threat to others? Now, he starts with a disputed question, argues it in scholastic style. So we're going to start with the objections. So here's what the opposition is saying. The unvaccinated are indeed a threat to others because the pandemic will only be overcome through herd immunity. And herd immunity can only be achieved safely and promptly through widespread vaccination. The unvaccinated are thus postponing the time until herd herd immunity is achieved 
and therefore are responsible for the heavy morbidity and mortality caused by this avoidable delay. Now, the secondary objection that follows this one is asymptomatic infections with SARS-CoV-2 are known to occur, and an unvaccinated person can transmit the virus to innocent bystanders. Therefore, the unvaccinated are a threat to others. Objection number three states the unvaccinated have an irrational fear of vaccines that is not supported by science. They have conspiratorial attitudes that are spreading through campaigns of disinformation, undermining public health institutions, and damaging social cohesion. Therefore, the unvaccinated are a threat to others. Objection number four says by minimizing the danger of the virus, the unvaccinated also dismiss the value of non-pharmacological interventions, or NPIs, such as social distancing and masking. Their overall reckless behavior further contributes to the spread of the virus and to much morbidity and mortality. Therefore, the unvaccinated are a threat to others. Now, objection number five says the unvaccinated are much more likely to be hospitalized with COVID and suffer severe complications that are costly to society than the vaccinated. Therefore, the unvaccinated are a threat to others and should bear the cost of their health care if they persist in their refusal to be vaccinated. And that pretty much sounds like what mainstream media has been saying. Now, in responding to this, Dr. Akkad says, Said contra, as it is said, the healthy have no need of a physician, but the sick do. Therefore, being healthy, the unvaccinated have no need to be vaccinated and cannot be a threat for failing to do something they have no need to do. So here's the first part of his response. He says, it is not the unvaccinated person who can harm, but the infected one. For an unvaccinated person cannot spread disease by virtue of being unvaccinated, but only by virtue of being infected. And being infected does not figure in the definition of being unvaccinated for the unvaccinated are healthy. An unvaccinated person is only potentially, not actually infected. And only what is actual can properly be a threat. For the legal definition of a threat is the real and serious communication of an intent to inflict harm. But the unvaccinated could only inflict harm by being infected, not by being unvaccinated. So now he replies to each one of those objections, one by one. The reply to objection one, herd immunity is a modeling concept in epidemiology that cannot serve as a target of public health policy. As when Mongolia was believed to have reached herd immunity for measles through widespread vaccination rates. Yet nevertheless, suffered a large widespread outbreak of measles in 2015. The inability to achieve herd immunity, therefore, cannot be imputed to any person or group of persons. As to objection number two, asymptomatic infections can affect the vaccinated as well as the unvaccinated. Furthermore, the inability to detect an asymptomatic infection is a shortcoming of technology. Traffic deaths are much more likely to occur under poor lighting conditions, yet we don't consider nighttime drivers to be a public threat. Objection number three, he answers by saying a society that claims to be pluralistic cannot be threatened by a plurality of attitudes. The distrust of public institutions cannot be considered a threat if coming from the unvaccinated, but a virtue or at least an acceptable social stance if coming from other groups such as, for example, the Black Lives Matter movement. In response to objection number four, the correlation between vaccination status and compliance with non-pharmaceutical interventions has not been established in a manner that excludes confounding variables. He says, furthermore, while NPIs are widely accepted public health interventions, 
their actual effectiveness is difficult to prove empirically. The unvaccinated cannot therefore be deemed to be a threat based on this tenuous association to demonstrable harm. And finally, objection number five, a large number of diseases and injuries may be caused or aggravated by the behavior of their victims. The unvaccinated are not more of a financial threat to society than those who smoke or those who drink excessively, those who incur leisure sports injuries or who drive absentmindedly, who eat more than they should, or who unduly expose themselves to sexually transmitted infections, etc. Kind of an interesting and well-thought-out response. And I don't know if you find yourself having to argue this very often, but if you do, well, there you go. You just picked up some philosophical ammunition to help yourself. I'm Brian Hyde, sitting in for Tim Alders. This is the Disciples of Liberty show on the America Out Loud Network. Well, my fellow Americans, how did you feel watching footage on the news of domestic terrorists looting our stores and burning our cities down? Uh, You were probably disgusted and angry as much as I was. It's disturbing what's going on. Well, you'd be shocked to know that your shopping habits are supporting these extremists. Companies like Amazon, Nike, Disney, FedEx, it's an endless list. And they've been supporting these radical groups. Let's stop supporting companies that fund these extremist groups. We can all do our part. Visit shoptotheright.com and you'll find businesses in a nationwide database and companies that are aligned with our American values. Visit shoptotheright.com and let's all make a difference. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control label insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. AmericaOutloud.com. Simply put, we're patriots who believe in Ronald Reagan's vision of a shining city on a hill. From sea to shining sea, you can listen in on iHeartRadio. Our free apps are on Apple, Android, or Alexa, or our world-class media player. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. All right, welcome back. This is the Disciples of Liberty show. I'm Brian Hyde sitting in once again for Tim Alders here on the America Out Loud Network. 
So I introduced you to the Brownstone Institute. It's just simply brownstone.org. And if, if you're a person, you know, who's interested in understanding a more well-rounded view and more well-rounded responses to the common COVID arguments of because government said so, or shut up, they explained, that kind of stuff, I think you'll really like what Brownstone Institute has to offer. Something that uh, they pointed out in a recent article today that I thought was definitely worth mentioning. Are you aware of the resignations of a couple of top officials at the Food and Drug Administration? Jeffrey Tucker, writing for the Brownstone Institute, says, How significant is it that the two top FDA officials responsible for vaccine research resigned last week and this week signed a letter in The Lancet, the British Medical Journal, that strongly warns against vaccine boosters? Did you know about this? Is this the first you're hearing of it? I don't think it's probably something that's being trumpeted by the press because this really interferes with the narrative. And in fact, uh, Jeffrey Tucker says, this is a remarkable sign that the project of government-managed virus mitigation is in the final stages before falling apart. I feel like I want to knock on wood (laughs) when, when I hear that. He says, the booster has already been promoted by top lockdown advocates Neil Ferguson of Imperial College and Anthony Fauci of the National Institutes of Health. Even in the face of rising public incredulity toward their expert advice. For these two FDA officials go on record with grave doubts and their perspective is certainly backed by the unimpressive booster experience in Israel. And it introduces a major break in the narrative that the experts in charge deserve our trust and deference. So what's at stake here? Well, it's about more than the boosters. It's about the whole experience of taking away the control of health management from individuals and medical professionals and handing it over to modelers and government officials with coercive power. That sounds about right. From the first week of March 2020, the U.S. embarked on a wild experiment in virus mitigation, deploying a series of measures with a sweep and scope never previously attempted. Not in modern times, not even in ancient times. The litany of controls and tactics is long. Many of these measures survive in most parts of the U.S. The retail landscape is still filled with plexiglass. We're invited to sanitize ourselves when going indoors. People mask up in proximity to others. The Karens of the world are still actively shaming and denouncing anyone suspected of non-compliance. What was it I saw yesterday? Oh, it was, the, it was video in the New York's public school system. You know, the system where the teachers have successfully lobbied, I'm sorry, the teachers' unions have successfully lobbied to keep the kids out of school for the better part of the last year and a half. Too dangerous for our teachers who need a raise, they say. But it was, uh, it's, apparently it's time. Some of the kids are going back to school in New York City. And so there's a guy walking around the classroom. It looked like an exterminator to me. I mean, he's wearing a respirator of some kind. He's wearing, you know, some kind of a little bio suit. And he's walking around, spraying up and down everywhere through the air, some kind of disinfectant. And I don't mean to sound sacrilegious, but uh, it kind of got me thinking of, uh, of I, I don't know what it is. If it's, a, if it's an archbishop or, you know, somebody very high up in the clergy walking into the chapel, swinging, you know, a thing of incense, you know, with the smoke coming out. It, it almost had that religious feel the way this guy was going around the room and sanitizing it. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't hear if he was saying something in Latin, you know, I, I couldn't tell. But it sure had the appearance that there was a religious ritual that was underway, cleansing the, the, the classrooms of the evil germs or the evil spirits 
Anyway, back to the article. Jeffrey Tucker says the vaccine push has been particularly divisive, with President Bush actively encouraging anger at those who don't get the jab, even as he refuses to acknowledge the existence of infection-induced immunities. In several cities, people who refuse vaccines are being denied active participation in civic life. And a populist movement is rising up that scapegoats the refuseniks as the only reason the virus continues to be a problem. Tucker says all these measures were deployed in waves of controls. It began with event cancellations and school closures. It continued with travel bans, most of which are still in place. Sanitation and plexiglass were next. Masks were rolled out and then mandated. The principle of forced human separation governed social interactions. Capacity limits indoors were a common feature. The U.S. example inspired many governments around the world to adopt these NPIs or non-pharmaceutical interventions and take away the liberties of the people. Now, Jeffrey Tucker says at each stage of control, there were new claims that we finally found the answer, the key technique that would finally slow and stop the spread of SARS-CoV-2. But nothing worked as the virus seemed to follow its own course regardless of all these measures. Indeed, there was no observable difference anywhere in the world based on whether and to what extent any of these measures were deployed. So finally came the pharmaceutical interventions, voluntary at first, but gradually mandatory, just as with each previous protocol began as a recommendation until it was mandated. Now, Jeffrey Tucker says, at no point... In these 19 months, have we seen a clear admission of failure on the part of government officials? Indeed, it's mostly been the opposite, as the agencies double down claiming effectiveness while citing no data or studies, while social media companies backed it all by taking down contrarian posts and brazenly deleting accounts of people who dare cite dissenting science. The vaccine was the biggest gamble of all, simply because the program was so expensive, so personal, and so wildly oversold. Even those of us who opposed every other mandate had hopes the vaccine would finally end the public panic and provide governments a way to back out of all the other strategies that had failed. That did not happen. Most people believed that the vaccine would work like many others before them to block infection and spread. In this, People were merely believing what the head of the CDC said. Our data from the CDC today suggests that vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick. That's what Rochelle Walensky told Rachel Maddow. And it's not just in the clinical trials, it's also in real-world data. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations, President Biden said, reflecting what was the common view in the summer of 2021. Now, that of course turned out not to be the case. The vaccines appear to have been helpful in mitigating against some severe outcomes, but it did not achieve victory over the virus. Israel's surge in infections in August was among the fully vaccinated. The same thing happened in the UK and Scotland, and that precise result began to hit the U.S. in September. Indeed, we all have vaccinated friends who caught the virus and were sick for days. Meanwhile, Team Natural Immunity has received a huge boost from a large study in Israel that demonstrated that recovered COVID cases gain far more protection than is conferred by the vaccine. So the fallback position then became the booster. Surely this is the answer. Israel was first to mandate them. 
But here again, the problems began to show as yet another magic bullet of disease mitigation failed. Then the inevitable headline came, Israel preparing for possible fourth COVID vaccine dose. So think about this, because there is a sense in which the vaccines rank among the biggest failures. In a matter of a few short months, we've gone from the claim they fully protect to they are pretty okay, provided you get regularly scheduled boosters forever. Now to the striking resignation of two top officials at the FDA who were in charge of vaccine safety and administration. It was deputy and it was sorry, director and deputy director of the Office of Vaccines Research, Marion Gruber and Philip Kaus. They gave no reason for their departure, which is scheduled for October and November. Now, Jeffrey Tucker says this case is fascinating because people, number one, rarely resign cushy government jobs unless a higher paying, higher prestige job in the private sector awaits. Or number two, they're being pushed out. It's rare for anyone in a position like this to resign over a principled matter of science. So Jeffrey Tucker says, when I first read that they were going, I figured something else was up. Now, he says, these days, extremely weird things are going on within the Biden administration. Even though his approval ratings are sinking, the president has to pretend that he has all the answers, that the science behind his mandates in the virus war is universally settled, that anyone who disagrees with him is really just a political enemy. He's gone so far as to denounce, demonize, and legally threaten red state governors who disagreed with him. Now, this is a deep problem for actual scientists working within the bureaucracy because they know for sure that all of this is a pretense and that the government cannot win this war on the virus. They simply cannot preside over more false promises, especially when the whole of their professional training is about assessing the safety and effectiveness of vaccines. So what can they do? Well, in this case, it looks like they had to get away before they dropped a bombshell. The bombshell is called Considerations in Boosting COVID-19 Responses or COVID-19 Vaccine Immune Responses. It appears in the prestigious British medical journal The Lancet, and the two top officials are among the authors. The article recommends against the COVID booster shot that the Biden administration, following Fauci's advice, is suggesting is the key to making the vaccines work better and finally fulfill their promise. My goodness, does that not bring more of an experimental feel to the whole vaccine question? Maybe it's just me. Okay, moving on. Fauci and company are pushing boosters because they know what's coming. Eventually, essentially rather, Jeff Tucker says, we are going the way of Israel. Most everyone is vaccinated, but the virus itself is not being controlled. More and more among those hospitalized and dying are vaccinated. This same trend is coming to the U.S. The boosters are a means by which government can save face, or so many believe. But the trouble now is that the top scientists at the FDA disagree. Further, they think that the push for boosters is courting problems. They think the current regime of one or two shots is working as well as one can expect. Nothing is gained on net from a booster, they say. There just isn't enough evidence to take the risk of another booster, and another, and another. So the authors knew this article was appearing. They knew that signing it under the FDA affiliation would lead to a push for their resignations. Life would get very difficult for both of them. They got ahead of the messaging and resigned before it came out. Very smart. The signed article goes even further to warn of possible downsides. 
They point out that boosters might seem necessary because variants expressing new antigens have evolved to the point at which immune responses to the original vaccine antigens no longer protect adequately against currently circulating viruses. At the same time, there are possible side effects that could discredit all vaccines for a generation or more. There could be risks, they write, if boosters are widely introduced too soon or too frequently, especially with vaccines that can have immune-mediated side effects, such as myocarditis, which is more common after the second dose of some mRNA vaccines, or uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome, which has been associated with adenovirus-vectored COVID-19 vaccines. But Jeffrey Tucker says bringing up such side effects, well, that's essentially a taboo topic. That this was written by two top FDA officials is nothing short of remarkable, especially because it comes at a time when the Biden administration is going all in on vaccine mandates. Meanwhile, studies are showing that for teenage boys, the vaccine actually poses a greater risk to them than COVID itself. For boys aged 16 to 17 without medical comorbidities, the rate of CAE is currently 2.1 to 3.5 times higher than their 120-day COVID-19 hospitalization risk, and 1.5 to 2.5 times higher at times of high weekly COVID hospitalization. So from the beginning of these lockdowns, along with all the masks, the restrictions, bogus health advice from plexiglass to sanitizer to universal vaccine mandates and so on, Jeffrey Tucker writes, it was clear that there would someday be hell to pay. They wrecked rights and liberties, they crashed economies, traumatized a whole generation of children and other students, ran roughshod over religious freedom, and for what? There is zero evidence that any of this has made any difference. We are surrounded by the carnage they created. The appearance of the Lancet article by the two top FDA FDA vaccine scientists is truly devastating, he says, and revealing because it undermines the last plausible tool to save the whole machinery of government disease management that has been deployed at such an enormous social, cultural, and economic cost for the last 19 months. This next statement's really bold. Jeffrey Tucker says, Not in our lifetimes has a policy failed so badly. The intellectual and political implications here are monumental. It means that the real COVID crisis, the task of assigning responsibility for all the collateral damage, has just begun. In 2006, during the early years of the birth of lockdown ideology, the great epidemiologist Donald Henderson warned that if any of these restrictive measures were deployed for a pandemic, the result would be a loss of trust in government and a manageable epidemic could move toward catastrophe. Well, catastrophe is exactly what has happened. The current regime wants to point the finger toward the non-compliant, but that's no longer believable. They cannot delay the inevitable for much longer. Responsibility for this catastrophe belongs to those who embarked on this political experience, experiment rather, in the first place. Yeah, how does that end up? How, how can they answer for the mistakes that they've made. I don't have all the answers there, but I'm just posing the question. Um, You know, I I have to agree with Paul Rosenberg on this one. I'm less concerned that they get theirs because I think we're all going to be sorted out in the most universal sense of justice possible. We will all answer to our creator. But in the meantime, 
understanding a few of the things that I, I believe these are, are true facts. You know, I could be wrong, but based on what I understand, if this virus is a man-made virus, if it was created with the funding and help of the United States government, if it has been the reason that, uh, that certain people who are power seekers or opportunists have tried to seize absolute control of as many aspects of our life as possible, we're dealing with some pretty evil people, the kind of people who uh, we should separate from and reject permanently. I know that sounds pretty judgmental, but gee, what, I mean, what more should we do? You know, put an arm around him and tell him, look, I know you didn't mean it. It's okay. We're all going to be okay. You know, just, you know, give me a hug. Let's hug it out. Come on. <laughs> I don't think so. I think uh, it's been a long time since I've had to fight back, uh, you know, real feelings of rage in my heart. But there have been numerous times in the last year and a half, especially as I have watched public health officials get up there and parade around and cry crocodile tears and plead and beg. And, you know, we can only be patient for so much longer. And it's infuriating. Because I've, I've suspected, I have felt right to my core this is not about keeping me healthy. This is not out of concern for my well-being. This is about making sure that I am submitting the way they want me to submit. I still believe this is the greatest reason why masks become that, that telltale thing. Are you compliant or are you not? Because you can look at a glance. Someone who is obediently masked, you know, they might be doing themselves a small favor. They might be mitigating, you know, the spread of some germs. That's good for them. But for the people of a controlling nature, they're not looking for that mask and thinking, oh, good for them. Good for them, looking out for themselves and the health of others. They're looking around and seeing that and going, good. Let this be a lesson that everybody must comply. We must all play by the rules, blah, 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 whatever the Karen mantra is. Yeah. I'm not saying, yeah, I had all the answers, therefore I get to say, I told you so. I'm just saying this felt wrong from the start. My mask wouldn't fit over my conscience from the very beginning. And now it's becoming clear. It really wasn't about health. This really wasn't about trying to prevent people from getting a particular illness. There was a lot of fake concern mixed up in a lot of effort to try to bring people to heal. And I'm having a real tough time with that. By the way, when it comes to resisting this sort of stuff, I still maintain that uh, simply living your life and ignoring those who would tell you to be fearful, f spend more time, you know, learning about it by watching every newscast. Now, don't. Unplug from the news. Unplug from the things that make you scared or make you angry and go for a walk. Pay attention to nature. See how normal the world looks away from your screens. And then when your, you know, antenna is recalibrated, go on back and see, you know, take a look if you want. But we can't just use, you know, the scientific data as, you know, the means of why we should protest this. See, these mandates that are being forced on us don't just violate our freedom of conscience and personal autonomy. They also cross a number of ethical and moral lines as well. I've got a great article here from J.B. Shirk. This is from... Um, it's AmericanThinker.com. Medical experimentation and collective punishment are war crimes. 
I know that's pretty serious, but listen to what he has to say here. He says, fake president, but real dictator Joe Biden. We are going to protect the vaccinated workers from the unvaccinated workers, co-workers. Ah, if only the vaccinated workers had as healthy immune systems as their unvaccinated colleagues. J.B. Shirk says, whatever friendly U.S. government is injecting into people, it's certainly not inoculating against or inhibiting transmission of the Fauci virus if the vaccinated must walk around in bubble boy suits for the rest of their lives. The vaccine that works so nice, you have to take it twice or thrice, or we'll let you know when you've had enough, prole. He says, before hope and change replaced the scientific method, not only did the medical community know the difference between males and females, but also vaccinations actually conferred immunity. Now, is there some unwritten rule that we must endure fake vaccinations during fake presidencies? He says, I know we live in a time when the political left redefines words daily to fit its desired propaganda objectives. But a vaccine now means nothing more than an injection that may or may not prevent illness so long as the subject remains in sterilized environments and wrapped in protective headgear. Well, then that's hardly different from defining bulletproof vest as a garment that may or may not prevent bodily harm so long as the wearer curls up in the fetal position and hides from danger. Now that Americans are being threatened with economic destruction, unless they let Uncle Sam slap on some rubber gloves and play doctor, he says, I think, we're, I think we know where this boulderization of medical terminology is naturally heading. Vaccination. Noun. The choice between letting the lying liars who run the U.S. government pump, your, pump an experimental serum into your veins or being forced into unemployment, homelessness, and starvation. Also, vaccinate. Verb, a profane expletive for fornication, as in, that pudding-brained pretender-in-chief sure vaccinated me this time. Now, J.B. Shirk says, look, as long as we're considering technical definitions, maybe it's time to consult long-standing international agreements on the protection of human rights and the prosecution of war crimes. As its first stated principle, outlining the bare minimum required of medical professionals to satisfy moral, ethical, and legal duties... The 1947 Nuremberg Code states clearly, quote, The voluntary consent of the human subject is absolutely essential. This means that the person involved should have legal capacity to give consent, should be so situated as to be able to exercise free power of choice without the intervention of any element of force, fraud, deceit, duress, overreaching, or other ulterior form of constraint or coercion and should have sufficient knowledge and comprehension of the elements of the subject matter involved as to make him an understanding and enlightened decision, end quote. Yeah, there's not a lot of wiggle room there. Let's put aside whether in their rush to vaccinate the world, medical bureaucrats have sufficiently enlightened patients as to all the health hazards that might reasonably be expected to come from experimental treatment. Because the usual long-term studies that track potentially harmful side effects of new treatments over the course of 10 or more years were thrown out the window so governments could quickly jab their citizens without much scrutiny. Long-term harm? Well, only the future will tell. Rather, let's highlight what the Nuremberg Code says about consent. It must be free from force, fraud, deceit, duress, overreaching, or other ulterior form of coercion or constraint. 
Now, does that set off any alarm bells for ethicists concerned about not following in the footsteps of Nazi medical science or treating civilians as guinea pigs for experimental research? Is it possible that Herr Biden's angry threats against healthy citizens for not partaking in his medical research might amount to duress or conversion? Well, let's see. Jab this in your arm or we will fire you, render you unemployable, threaten the financial survival of you and your family, and maybe leave you destitute and homeless. Ding, ding, ding. Talk about overreach. Surely threatening people with economic destruction, if they won't submit to medical experimentation, is the exact kind of government force or mandate the war crimes tribunal that Nuremberg was trying to prevent in the future. Surely the vaccine mandates explicitly designed to outlaw freedom or personal choice should be scrutinized with an eye open to the human atrocities of the past. Yet here we are 75 years later and medical experimentation is back in style. Maybe the New World Order, the globalists keep forcing down our throats, is once again written in German, or maybe President Dumkoff only speaks gibberish. At any rate, J.B. Shirk says, uh, you know, this is, not only is the right to, the, to avoid the imposition of human experimentation protected by the Nuremberg Code, principles which, by the way, were adopted by the Food and Drug Administration in its own agency regulations, but also collective punishment more generally, is still a war crime under the Geneva Conventions. The Fourth Geneva Convention explicitly states collective penalties and likewise all measures of intimidation or terrorism are prohibited. The 1977 additional protocols to the Geneva Conventions ensure that real or threatened collective punishments are a crime against humanity at any time and in any place whatsoever. Again, not much wiggle room there, but what do we have coming out of the White House today? Out of anger and malice, the Delaware Fuhrer has targeted unvaccinated citizens without any regard as to whether they might already have natural immunity or have gained immunity from having been infected with the Fauci virus. Instead, DF's vaccine magnate, mag, mandates rather are structured to punish an entire class of Americans who have the temerity to believe that adults should be able to make their own personal decisions about their own health. Now, because racial minorities make up a large share of this unvaccinated class, collectively punishing the unvaccinated has the obvious effect of disparately punishing non-white Americans for the crime of deciding for themselves what should be injected into their bodies. Now, if we still had a working constitution, some might call that an obvious denial of equal protection under the law. Regardless, if threatening the livelihoods of a group of people for refusing to submit to forced government injections of an experimental treatment doesn't constitute collective punishment and a crime against humanity, well, then the door to future war crimes is wide open. J.B. Shook says, uh, maybe one day when all the woke fascism around us is finally repudiated, we can convene a special tribunal to sort through this whole mess, provide due process to all the accused, and then vaccinate the lot of them. I think he's using that as a verb. <laughs> so, J.B. Shirk uh, is uh, mincing no words here, here, but I think he's connecting the right dots. I think he's also saying this is exactly the kind of thing that's being carried out. 
I wish this wasn't so divisive. I wish it didn't pit family members against family members. Oh, yeah, trust me. I've got family members who sit and wonder, well, you know, uh, they'd probably ask my kids, how far off the reservation has your dad gone this time? Why? Because I will not allow myself to be bullied into taking that government-mandated needle in my arm. Something hasn't felt right about this from the very beginning. And the harder that the people pushing for these universal vaccinations push, the more I begin to really question if my best interests are in their minds. I don't think, it's, I don't think that's the case. They've done nothing to convince me that this is about, uh, about really protecting me. And maybe I'm wrong. You know, I mean, I've got friends who say if I caught COVID and died of it, I would be so embarrassed. Well, let me state for the record. If I catch COVID and die from it, I'm not going to sit there and regretfully, if only I had taken the shot. (laughs) Everybody else, please take it too. I understand that there are risks. I understand that there are things that I can do to mitigate those risks in my own life. But it doesn't change the fact it's my call. No government bureaucrat, however well-intentioned, can take that from me. They can't uh, twist my arm hard enough to make me say uncle. And yes, if it came to it, I would rather die a free man able to make his own decisions than to submit and perhaps live a little bit longer, at least until my next booster, you know, with their permission. I don't know how you feel, but there it is. That's how I feel. I'm Brian Hyde sitting in for Tim Alders. This is the Disciples of Liberty on the America Out Loud Network.